here's a chorus. I don't know, probably new to most, even my wife says, how do you sing this song or this chorus? I think I think she skipped Sunday Sunday school a couple Sundays, you know. And, <laughs> surgeries you you doctor people is that right usually usually yeah usually right and then you prepare okay so let's do this how about some of you folks here plan to do some fasting and praying thursday early morning so uh, three hour difference would you guys do that you sacrifice some time off to pray and fast for nathan's yes. uh and, David. and so won't you know you don't have to fast the whole day i mean don't get sick fasting but it probably wouldn't hurt you to too fast for maybe um, a short period. So once you commit yourself to do that, I won't call you to ask if you're going to do that, but go ahead and commit yourself to do that and pray for little David. I'm kind of nervous about a little uh, a surgery for such a small body like that. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that kind of things. People say it's a normal, everyday kind of surgery, but what do I know? I'm just a, I'm just a layman who is kind of um, worried about stuff like that. So it's different if it's your own grandson or granddaughter. You know that. It's different if it's your own family. If it's somebody else, act. No sweat. But uh, you understand that, all right? So yeah. please do that. Okay, uh, those of you who have class of here, see you later. Dismiss. See you. Bye-bye. 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 We have the air conditioning being fixed very soon, hopefully before it gets too cold. <laughs> right. Uh, there are some cards that Nathan made. There are sets of three. These are scripture cards. If you want to get them, they're right up here for free. Take all three of them. Right over here. Right over here. Okay. All right, let's go to 1 John chapter 5. We're winding it up. We're going to be finishing most of it today, but I want to take my time. As you turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse number 9, here are some bumper stickers that are from days of old. You remember bumper stickers? They're not so common anymore, but here are some bumper stickers. Honk. If you love peace and quiet. Honk if you love peace and quiet. I don't think, okay. Uh, it's not too hard to meet expenses. They're everywhere. That's pretty good bumper sticker. Here's one Francis you might like. Don't force it, get a bigger hammer. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of hard to understand this, you know, American style of humor, Kathy, but um, I, sometimes even Americans don't understand American humor. Since you enjoy this so much, I'll give you another one here. Fairy tales. Horror stories for children to get them used to reality. 
Okay. That's enough. First John chapter five, verse number nine. First John five nine. We've been plowing through this short book. It appears to be a little bit simple, but apparently it's not so simple as we've been going through it. And so first John chapter five comes down to verse number nine. The issue here is the witness, the witness of God compared to the witness of man. Verse number nine tells us if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. So Last week, the comment about that was, we believe what man says. We believe what they write. We believe the news broadcast. We believe the journalists, so-called, believe the historian. And yet, when it comes to what God said about his son, we say, well, that's just written by man. So I wanted to contrast what we naturally believe, the witness of man, and yet when God says something about his son, we have a tendency to say, well, is that really in the Bible? Is that really scripture? You know, the New Testament's full of problem passages. A lot of that stuff is just made-believe kind of thing. It's written so long ago from the actual fact. That's what people naturally say about the witness of God about His Son. They doubt it. Have you noticed how quickly people doubt what the Bible says, and yet they're so quick to believe what a man says about something? Your pharmacist says, uh, take this uh, on the label uh, twice a day, morning and evening with food. You believe exactly what it says, you do what it says, because there's credibility with you. And yet the idea is that we believe what man says, but we're so quick to dismiss what God says. He does say, verse 9, the witness of God is greater, greater than the man's testimony. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. So in review, the emphasis here is on God testifying about his son. And what he says about his son is more credible than what anybody says about his son, good or bad. You have to understand that big picture that what God said about his son is what he said about his son. And we were not there in eternity when God said some things about his son. We were not there when God said about his son when at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a voice from heaven. Twice in Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a witness of God about his son. And so people do discount the supernatural things that happen when it comes to his son. So we're going to believe what the Bible says, all right? We're going to believe what the Bible says about his son, what God said about his son, regardless of what anybody says. I was just watching a video last night. It's about a very uh, articulate defender of the Bible and another man who's a very articulate defender of atheism. And the debate was two hours. I watched only some of it and then I fell asleep. But uh, the man who was an atheist kept counterpunching what the Christian was saying. And it really came, try to boil things down to the simplest form. The atheist says, yeah, but, this guy was saying that the, the scripture says, but Jesus did this. Well, we don't even know if Jesus is real. And that was his reasoning. Back and forth, back and forth, kind of wear you out at, at how blind people are who are very so-called intellectual. This guy has had two years of Greek. This guy has had eight years of Greek and other Hebrew studies and so on. And then he cites other people who are very well versed in the Greek language. And so this guy's saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And see, what, what you and I would say, well, the testament of God is this. Yeah, but. Well, you, you believe the witness of man over what the witness of God says. You believe what others have said about Jesus Christ, what uh, his resurrection is not credible, it's not really it's just a hoax, all these kind of things. People will believe what somebody says in criticism of the scriptures about Jesus Christ. Yeah, but God said this. We're going to stand on this side. We're going to believe what God says, no matter what anybody else says. Even at the moment, you look like an, an idiot or a fool to just say the Bible says this and Jesus said this. Well, what else are you going to stand on? Now, there, you could stand on layers of argumentation and evidence. That'd be helpful. That'd be helpful. But it comes to a point where this person just doesn't want to believe. Right. Is it not a spiritual issue? It's not an intellectual issue. It's a spiritual issue. And so in verse number 10, he says this, He that believeth on the Son. Well, you believe in the Son if you believe what God said about His Son through the Bible. He that believeth on the Son of God hath witness in himself. Okay, so we have a little statement here about if you believe in the Son of God, you have the witness in yourself. And so if you don't believe the testament of God, you make him a liar. You're saying God wasn't accurate. God was not true. He's not credible, but man is. Ha, ha, ha. I would say like real. Like real. And one of the things in court is if you can discount or discredit the witness, 
he has lost our credibility in court. Jurors should not listen to the witness who is found to be biased. And so the witness of men is not always so accurate, even though it's a first-hand witness. Depends on their background, their mindset, uh, where they're coming from, what the slant is, what the bias, and all these kind of things are factors to what someone says or has seen in a court of law. Now, uh, the witness of God is true, and it's about verse number 10, the Son of God. And if you believe in the Son of God, you have the witness. <laughs> Baby fall from a chair, almost falling. Somebody can do medical attention right now, I'm sure. Um, you have the witness in himself. So now the issue is the witness in himself. Who is the witness in the Christian that bears testimony to uh, the Christian who says, I believe that I'm saved? Who is the one that witnesses to him, the Christian, that yes, you are saved, yes, you are a believer, yes, you are born again? Who is that witness? It says, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. So someone's in the witness or someone's in the, the believer that witnesses to him, you are, you are a child of God. Who is that witness? Any guesses? The Holy Spirit. What verse do we go to? It's not First John, it's Romans chapter 8. Let's come over here. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The witness in himself. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's a good proof text to tell you that the Holy Spirit himself who indwells the believer since new birth is witnessing to your spirit, witnessing to your conscience that you are actually indeed a child of God. Sometimes we, we just know, we just know, we just know that we belong to him. And that's because the Holy Spirit bears witness to your testimony that you have received him. Now, sometimes, sometimes a Christian does not feel like they are saved. Have you ever felt that way? I did when I was a young Christian. At the moment, meaning in that year, meaning during those times in which I felt unsure of my salvation, I had I was I was doubting my salvation because of you know bad thoughts or bad behavior, cuss words, things like that. And I instinctively knew that it was not right for a Christian to have these feelings, have these thoughts, or have this kind of bad behavior. I didn't know any better, but I thought, you know, I'm a Christian. And a Christian doesn't act this way. Well, no one told me that. No one taught me that. I hadn't, I hadn't grown so much, but I felt like, why am I thinking like this? Why am I feeling like this? I'm supposed to be saved. I don't think saved people think this way. Have you ever thought like that? I mean, everybody has at some time in your young life as a Christian. I mean, we, we know some things are wrong, and yet we do it. We know some things are wrong to think about, yet we thunk it. Think it. We know that some things are you know, that's not what a Christian does, but yet we do it. But you feel guilty about that, and you wonder. And I had actually asked someone about that. Well, I didn't want to use my name, but I kind of put me in a third person. I said, you know, I know somebody who says he's a Christian, but he, he swears a lot. How can that be? This is in my very early days of my Christian being Christian. And this wise old Christian who had little hair. And some of it was gray. That's why I like people who have little hair and they have gray hair. And he said very wisely, he says, well, you know, you still have an old nature. You still have a tendency to sin. You're still in this world. And it doesn't mean that you have lost your salvation. It just means that you're still in the flesh. And you have a struggle with this. You will have a struggle with your flesh until you go to heaven, until you die. And that's how I explained it way back then in 1971 or two around that time. And I began to think, well, yeah. So I said, so even though I, I almost gave it away. I said, I, even though I, uh, I mean, my friend, even though my friend, even though my friend says he's worried that he's lost his salvation because he, he swears a lot. 
And, I, and he interrupted me. He said, that's because we have a no nature and because we're not in heaven yet. We're not, we're not so sanctified yet. We're still growing. We're still being sanctified. And I said, oh, I'll tell him that. I'll tell him that. That sounds like a good answer. <laughs> that's not about myself. And so we sometimes feel like that, but the witness of the Holy Spirit tells us and confirms to us, yes, you, I remember when you got saved, not in those words, not in talking to me, not in talking to you verbally or audibly, but he witnesses to your spirit that we are the sons of God. Now, when that happens, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you depend upon your feelings because you feel like you're not saved, you feel like you are saved. Well, it has to be based upon certain factors. So when I felt like I was not saved, it was because of bad behavior, bad thinking, bad, those kind of things. That resulted in my conclusion, I must not be saved based on that. But then when he explained to me that, no, that's not the factor. The witness of the Holy Spirit does not say that you are saved because you feel like you are. And he tried to explain to me, it's the witness of the Spirit that you did at one day, at some point in your life, you did receive Christ Jesus by faith, and you got born again. And the Spirit of God witnesses to you that you did that, you did that, you did it. The Bible says, therefore, result, you have been given eternal life. So it witnesses to the fact of what you did with Christ. Not just witnessing, I feel like I'm Christian. A lot of people do good things, they feel like they're Christians. Not really true. It's what you base your good feelings on. I was basing my good feelings on, my bad feelings on bad behavior. He said, no, the feelings are not, not the issue here. It's just a byproduct of something. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, if you can go to a Bible verse and you say, I have committed my soul to John 3.16 or Romans 10.13, and you can go back to that, the Spirit of God witnesses to you that you did what the Bible says, therefore, one plus one equals, see, faith in Christ equals salvation. Did you do that? Yes. The best that you knew? Yes. You weren't forced into it? No. Were you coerced into it? No. Did it voluntarily? I did. Did you choose to read? I did. Did you know that you were sin? I, I did understand that. Did you not want to, did, did you fear going? I, yes. And so and so you, you turned to Christ in faith? Yes, but I didn't know too much. He said, that's okay. The fact that you turned to Christ in faith shows that you were, were convicted by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, and you acted upon what you knew was right. And when you did that, something happened to you. You got saved. And the Spirit of God says, no, you got saved back over here. Now, we don't remember all the time when we got saved, but who does? Oh, the Lord does. The Holy Spirit knows when you got saved. So he's witnessing to you. He's telling you, you did get saved. I was there when you got saved. You know, back in Bible times, when Roman days, early, early Roman days, when they had adoption ceremonies, you had to have seven witnesses to an adoption. Now, let me explain to you about the witness of the Holy Spirit. Adoption. When someone was adopted, a father adopted for a, a husband, they adopted a son at whatever age. The son may not remember when he was adopted. <clears throat> Suddenly he's in somebody else's home. Suddenly he's in, he's got his own room now. Suddenly he's in a new household. Suddenly everything's different. Well, he remembers when he was uh, homeless and he was out in the streets and he was an orphanage, but now someone took him to over here that these are now your parents. What? What's going on? He doesn't know what's going on. But officially and legally, the adults knew what happened. And there were seven witnesses to this adoption. Now, if something happened to the father, passed away, war, tragedy, now there is no confirmation to the boy who is still a child that he is adopted into this new family. Let's say the, the glorious Ching family, for example, okay? Okay, Smith family, or Young family, or Taniguchi family, or some kind of, okay, he, he has no father, and he says, I don't know who I belong to, now try listening carefully, he says, I don't know who I belong to, you know what happens, he's so stressed out because he doesn't know who he belongs to, but what happened at that official adoption ceremony, there were seven witnesses, one of them says, uh, son, let me tell you something. I was there in this particular month, day, and year when the transaction was made. It became official with the, the city and county of so-and-so, and uh, you have been adopted. Into this. Your, your last name is, is Taniguchi. Okay, your last name is Taniguchi. 
And so you are a Taniguchi. You have all rights of a Taniguchi. You are an heir of the Taniguchi family. I'm a witness to that. I was there when it happened. So can you see how that adoption process in old times and Roman days is kind of significant to how the Spirit of God witnesses to your heart that you have been adopted into God's family? Do you, do you kind of catch that? Do, do this if you understand that. Well, look at me if you don't understand that. Okay, good. We're on the same page. We're all confused. All right, so go back to, uh, well, stay there. I want to point out something else. We have another issue here in Romans chapter 8, verse number 16. Look at verse number 16 carefully. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. Is there a problem here? Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. What is the potential problem here? The Spirit has confirmed that, yes, you have received Christ as your servant. Yes, you are a son of God. Yes, you have been adopted. I'm a witness to that. And I'm telling you now, I'm testifying to you that you are a son of God, regardless of how you feel. But now in verse 16, the Spirit itself, 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 Spirit itself, Spirit itself. Is there a potential problem here? Spirit itself. Do you know what everybody says? Everybody means those who have a difficulty with accepting the Bible as the Word of God, the King James Bible. Here's a verse in which they take occasion to say that the Bible, the King James Bible, has mistakes in it. Mistranslations. Now, you've all read in commentaries, you've all seen blurbs on promotions for new Bible translations that the King James Bible is kind of, didn't have all the manuscripts, therefore we have found some new manuscripts in recent years and our translation reflects that. If only they had these manuscripts, they would have put that in there, they would have put the Spirit Himself rather than itself. Now, every Greek word has a gender to it. Male, female, or neuter. Male, female, or neuter. Well, obviously, this is a reference to the spirit, and it's called the spirit itself. Uh, pneuma, pneuma is for wind. Spirit is wind, the spirit itself. In reference to the Spirit of God, it's called, it's referred to as itself because the word is neuter. So the King James translators, they were honest to translate it as neuter and not a personal pronoun, him or he. Now, there's another place in the New Testament where the Spirit of God is referred to as he and him. Multiple times in three chapters. You know what that is? It's referred to as he or him in the upper room. In the upper room. Turn to John chapter 16. And keep your thinking here in Romans chapter 8. Uh, John chapter 16. 14, 15, 16 has references to the Holy Spirit, especially chapter 16. Now it's very clear that the Lord spoke of the Holy Spirit as a person because of the personal pronouns. John 16, verse number 16. And come to verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient that for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, you get a capital C for Comforter? That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send Him, Him, in reference to the Holy Spirit, Him, to you. Verse 8. And when He is come, He will reprove the word of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. Verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Verse 11, of judgment because the prince of this word is judged. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Which is very true. Many things the Lord would like to show you, but we're not able to handle it because of our own personal growth status. Verse 12, you may not handle it now, but maybe next year you could. And he will show you some things. Verse number 13, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. For he, not she, the Bible identifies the Holy Spirit as male in gender. He shall Glorify me. Verse 14. He shall receive of mine and shall show it. 
So from John 16 alone, you have the reference to the Holy Spirit as called He. In Romans chapter 8, He's referred to as It. Um, do you know that even Jesus Christ Himself referred to His Father in such a way that it makes you feel like, you know, the Lord didn't have a problem with calling His Father something neuter. Come to John, again, the book of John, in chapter 4. Here's something kind of interesting, John chapter 4. I should have you stay there, but not to make it work, so we'll go back to John chapter 4. Oh, poor me. Got to turn back to John chapter 4. I was already there. John chapter 4 and verse number 22. All right, the context is Jesus talks to the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria, and then the time of worshiping God. And now in John 4, verse number uh, 22, uh, verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22. Ye worship, ye know not what. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. You know, the Lord is talking about his Father, and he calls him what? Nobody gets upset about that. Look at verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and so on. Now, what you have here is just a simple cross reference to tell you that the Lord Himself did not get bothered too much by calling you know not what you know not what you worship. It's kind of like to me the same thing in Romans chapter 8, where the Spirit is called the Spirit itself bears witness. We do know He's the person. We do know that this is not a bad translation. We do know that's not a mistake. So we're not going to be real quick to say, okay, get a new Bible because this one is a mistake. You know, those who say that a lot, um, they are usually Greek professors and Greek scholars or publishers or commentators or, or pastors who uh, emphasize teaching the Bible. And so they often quickly say, the Bible, the, the kingdom is a really good Bible, the best Bible around, but whenever someone says, but, you better watch out for that but. You've never heard us in this church say, the Bible says this, but. The King James says this, but. This is a mistranslation. When I was at Tennessee Temple in 1970, our first year, um, my, my Bible teacher for Old Testament, Testament survey, Dr. Wyma Porter, uh, very smart guy. And when I first heard him, I was like this. Wow, he's really smart. And back then, the school was very large. They had about five or 6,000 in student body enrollment. And in my Old Testament, Testament survey, was all for freshmen. It was packed. It was a, like an amphitheater, uh, sloping, just like really. It was packed with 180 students, most of them freshmen. I'm sitting there like, wow, this guy's really smart. And he talked like this, kind of like real soft, like this. You know, the New Testament says this, no one about this. You know, like, talk with his chin down like that, you know, he bald. He walked like this, one hand in his pocket. Man, he was very impressive. <laughs> kind of like, you know, Charlie Brown talking. Uh, and then you had to park, 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 like that. <laughs> I thought he was very smart. And whenever he says something, we were all listening to him. And then, as a young freshman at school, he said some things that um, got my attention. It actually woke me up. He would say something. Now, I'll, I'll use this verse as an example, but he used other verses, which I cannot remember. But it says here, as uh, he is going to some topic, and he would say, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse number 6. The Spirit itself brings with this aspect. Now, students, not class. Now, students, not class. You see that there? He says, that verse, that verse, in Romans 8, 16, that's a mistranslation. We know the Spirit of God is a person, not a it. The King James Bible Translator didn't have all the manuscripts available to them. We do now in the American Standard Version of 1901. That's the most accurate little translation, and he kind of just did that. You can hear everybody going, ooh, oh, wow. I'm so glad I'm here to learn that. And throughout the first, second semester, we hear so many things like that. This Bible should be translated this way. The King's Bible is very poetic, it's very majestic. It's got a lot of nice, smooth sounding words. It's very majestic. However, 1 John 5, 7 should not be there. That is not in the most ancient manuscripts and so on and so on. So we covered that last time. And so I heard that all the time. You may have heard that too as you listen to people, as you read commentaries and uh, preachers can say stuff like that. And yet they say, this Bible is the word of God, it's without error. Do you find it odd 
to have someone say that and actually yeah. in the classroom they say something else. Yeah, right. Yeah. To me, that's really how can I say it? Kindly, not honest. Right. <laughs> if you think it's got mistakes in it, just say so. It's just not called a survival if it has mistakes in it. All right, so that's some of that. And uh, we take it as it says. We don't believe that it's a mistake. There's a reason for that being there. Jesus made no big deal about calling his father what? And uh, we know from John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is a person. So I got no problem with that. And uh, if you do, perhaps you should ask God to help you to understand and see what the Bible says about this matters, okay? Fair enough. Amen. Fair enough. Um, now look at, verse, uh, look at uh, John chapter 5 and verse number 11. Actually, what should your mind think about when some man says, that's not what God really meant about the English Bible. That's not what God really meant. Here's what he really meant. And it's usually about the King James Bible that they're referring to. And you could use the word attack because that would be accurate. But I think a lot of people are sincerely... Um, they overthink they overthink things and they make an issue and there's no issue there so that's that category of people too but then there are some that are aggressively going to find fault with the King James Bible and they believe they have the Greek manuscript to prove it they have the scholars to agree with them and so you have many kinds of criticism of the Bible as for me and my house we're going to believe what the Bible says for what it says if I don't understand it uh, it's likely I have a problem with understanding not the Bible has a contradiction right. or has a mistake in it. It's likely that. It's likely that. Always take sides. Take the Bible side. Believe the witness of God. Yeah. By the way, my question yeah. was, my question was, where have you read before or where do you think, what do you think about when someone says this really shouldn't be here? Um, uh, God didn't really mean that. What should come to your mind? The serpent in the garden. Ah, the serpent in the garden. Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? Really, there's nothing under the sun, but in many different ways of saying that, that's what they're saying. Did God really say that? You know, it's a good study sometimes to go through again. It's very tedious about how Bibles came our way, different translations, the manuscript evidence, all of these things. It's very tedious. And, uh, but it proves that there is a bias against this Bible. It proves that there is something behind translations because there is this worldly, anti-Bible, anti-Christ attitude that is permeating this world. And it comes to translations as well. So we don't prefer the King James Bible. We believe that it is the Word of God. Amen. Now, if I were to, I'll just end this part and then go to the next part. If I were to go to a court of law and they said, Pastor Kevin, raise your right hand, pretend about it, swear this. Uh, you swear to tell the temple truth. So, yes, I do. Oh, you said help you God? Okay, I'm glad you believe in God. They'll say, so whatever they say. Okay, all right. And then the prosecution comes and says, Do you believe you got the Bible? I said, Yes, I do. Do you believe it's not an error? I said, Yes, I believe that. Do you believe that it has no mistakes in it? Yes, I do. What about 1 John 5 7? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, what about Romans 8, 16? Blah, 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 blah. See? So they're going to try to get me to say, no, this book is not perfect like you say. Well, no, we're not going to be afraid of that because that is old stuff already. There's, there's nothing new. Today's criticism about there's nothing new. There's nothing new. Since 1971, there's nothing new. There's nothing new. Same old rehashed, repackaged, repackaged. You ever see things, products that have been repackaged? New commercial, new ad, but same stuff. The same thing. Have confidence in your Bible. All right, where am I? Oh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 11. 1 John 5, 11. Now, before I get to 1 John 5, 11, I want to, I want to step back and I actually overlooked something in verse number uh, 10. He that believeth, he that believeth, he that believeth not, verse 10. You have two things here. He that believeth and he that believeth not. One is, I will believe. The other one is, I will not believe. Now, let me ask you this. 
What does that indicate to you when someone says, I will believe and I won't believe? I will, I won't. You ever see a wedding ceremony? And will you have this man to be lawful with the husband? And she does this. I won't. That's tragic. Will you have this woman? And he says, he looks around and does this. What am I doing here? I won't. Well, all of that indicates, or happily, they say, I will or I do. You know, both of that is a choice. Now, the choice was made a long time ago before they got to the altar, right? It wasn't there they made the decision. They made the decision a long time ago in their heart and then it expressed with the words, I will or I do. Now, he says, he says in verse number 10, he that believeth, I will. On the Son of God had the witness himself. He that believeth not, I won't. You have, I will or not. What does that indicate to you? What does that tell you? This is a, this is a serious doctrinal problem that people have today or they are confronted with this all the time. What teaching says you have no choice? You have no choice. Now, I kind of apologize for bringing this up again because you folks know better, but some people don't. And it's just that they haven't been exposed to it. But who says that you have no choice? Everything is locked in in eternity. The doctrine, the teaching of Calvinism. It says that you have been predetermined, predestined to believe or not believe. Well, let me ask this question. If Think about that, first of all. If it is true that people who say, in eternity, before you ever showed up, before you ever, before you ever, okay. when you got, when you were born into this world, day, day, time, so on, place, and you grow up, you're going to be this. You're going to be a criminal. That has been predetermined over here. And you cannot help that. Your parents might have trained you to be good, honorable, but you decide to become a criminal. No, no, you didn't decide that. You just were going to be that because in eternity, God says you're going to be a criminal. That is what it turns out to be. This guy turned out to be a missionary, a preacher, a saint, whatever. Oh, because God in eternity predetermined that's going to happen to him. But he does say this. He that believeth on the Son, he that believeth not. What does that tell you? That tells you that there is choice. There is choice. Why, why, why must we always go through this every once in a while? It's because it's so prevalent in our culture among Christians that you have been predetermined to be in a certain way. Not true. Not true. Our behavior, our behavior, our thinking, is all influenced by certain things. And we respond to these certain things and we live it out. But then, he says, if you believe or if you don't believe, you can. He doesn't say you can, but he that believes on the Son, he that believes not. That's a choice. It's like a it's like a crossroad. It's like a fork in the road. You come to a fork in the road, one goes this and one goes that way. Now there is a street in Conway, it's by a graveyard. The graveyard is right here. It's an intersection, and the road comes over here, the road comes this way, and then you can turn left, you can turn right. There's a stop sign right here. You can turn left, you can whenever I drive home that way, I look at that road, I'm thinking, which way shall I go? I know where I live, but I could choose to go the scenic way, go all the way down to the end, come back around and go home. I can do that, or I can choose to go this way. I have a choice. The car does not say automatic. Can you imagine your car automatic, uh, what do you call this, um, intelligence, where you don't have to be a driver, you just push and the thing goes, set the route, it goes. The car doesn't just take me there without me having a hand in this. I choose to go a certain route. When I came to church this morning, I chose to get up a certain time. I chose to do certain things so I could be here today. I chose to. I wasn't forced to. I wasn't, I must get up, I must get up, I must get dressed, I must go to the, no, I'm not a robot, neither are you. We make choices. So that verse, verse number 10 tells me that there is free will that we can exercise. We're not predestined to hell or heaven. We go there, either one, either places, because we choose to receive Christ or reject Christ. It's a choice. It's a choice. 
You ever see where uh, someone's about to do something very bad, but they back away? Someone's about to, someone's about to pull the trigger. I mean, it's like that. Now I know what that means when someone points a gun at someone. I know what that means. Old cowboy days, when someone points a gun at you, depends what kind of hat he wears. You see a black hat, he tends to take something from you at, by force. If it's Matt Dillon, he intends to shoot you if you don't drop your gun. I know the intent. It's up to that guy to respond to the, the stimulus. He looks at that, drop the gun. The guy's all hot, sweaty, he's a weird kid. He's all, he's all, he's all, drop the gun, Matt Dillon said. Matt Dillon stand up real calm. Drop, drop it right now. I'm not telling you again. I'm gonna count to three, drop it. One, two, drop the gun. He made a choice. And then, tragically, on the other hand, people make bad choices and you have bad consequences, bad results. Nothing is predetermined in the sense that it cannot be prevented. There's tragedies that can be prevented. There's good things that can happen because of choice. Oh, man. Carmen, you and Miranda and me, I'll be a chauffeur, we'll go to Vegas, okay? I heard the winnings are good now in Vegas. I heard that everybody's coming back full of money. Well, they could have lost 10000 but they gained twenty. So, you know, you got to pay a price to get something, right? So, Carmen, okay, you too. And you can come too if you want to, okay? And uh, Loretta, you can come too if you want to. Okay, we all could use more cash, so we go and we lose everything. Well, that was God's will. Are you stupid? That's not God's will. That's your own bad choice based on something foolish. Right? So that's how that plays out. I thought about that when I came to verse number 10. Now also, I want you to come down to verse number 11. Look at this one. Oh, verse 11. Verse 11. <coughs> and this is the record. The testimony of God. This is the record that God had given to us something. Eternal life. Stop right there. The record, the testament of God written down says that God has given to us eternal life. The record, the record, the witness of God says that he gave us something called eternal life. Could there be a greater gift than eternal life? I mean, really, could there be a greater gift than eternal life? What would people consider that the best gift of all? Well, it could be a lot of things. For some, it's winning the Michigan lottery, $858 million, whatever it is. I mean, it might last you six months, but uh, that could be a great blessing to them, they feel. Whatever it is, above it all would be eternal life because you have a soul that lives on eternally. It's an immortal soul, and it goes on somewhere in heaven or hell for eternity. That's, that's quite a long time to be in the wrong place. It's quite a blessed time to be in the right place. So eternal life is the greatest blessing of all, and that's what God has given to us according to his record, the Bible. Yes. Why is it that, that people want to discredit the Bible, the record of God? Why? Don't you find that very insidious that somebody is trying to get people to not believe the record of God that he has given to us eternal life? I mean, really, you've got to think of this as there's something behind the scenes going on. Something so valuable, something so important like eternal life, and somebody's trying to get people to not believe the record of God. That ought to tell you something about the spiritual warfare that this world is in. It's not just religion against religion. It's about the devil and God. The devil is trying to deceive people to not be saved. Eternal life. You ever think about eternal life? For centuries, people have been trying to find assurance of eternal life. For centuries, people are trying to do things and, and believe things, believe all kinds of records to guarantee them eternal life. Do you know that is the nature of man to be religious? To reach out to something in his own imagination and come up with a system of some sort, hopefully that this will give him eternal life. Ancient Egyptians symbolized by this. I was interested to read about this last week about pyramids. Kind of interested in that kind of stuff, but uh, you know who was buried in the pyramid? Peasants or royalty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, if you find King. Like the tomb of uh, King Rutan, 
then uh, you, you're something else. You find the tomb of King Rudin Tutin, at least Jesus did. But um, you know that there's a burial process for royalty and for people in general and for the wealthy? Listen to this. Mummification, listen to this thing here. Mummification, to preserve the body of the deceased, the ka, K-A, the ka, K-A, the individual's double form. What does that mean, double form? Okay, this person, this body, he has a ka, a duplicate, like a cutout, just the same, identical. The ka was an individual's double form. That is what is moved on after death into the afterlife. So his ka, his double form, goes into eternity somewhere, hopefully. In order for the ka to stay preserved, the physical form needs to be intact, thus mummification. Important organs were removed. What were the important? I thought all organs are important. <laughs> well, how did the thing is one organ is more important than the other organ? <laughs> okay, you need your kidney. Yeah, that's not important. <laughs> the important organs were removed and the body was preserved. Not burying the body properly would lead the soul to return to haunt the living as a G-H-O-S-T. Based on what record? Testimonial scripture? Witness of God? No, no. No, no. Something else. Now, the transition process The transition process, which is what this is, a transition process. <laughs> because I don't want to use the word ghost in front of them. They're young, innocent, impressionable. They're going to think all kinds of things. They get scared at night. They use the word ghost. Okay? All right. So, if you don't properly care for the corpse, then it'll lead to the soul to return to haunt the living as a ghost. Based on scripture, no, no. Watch this part. Um, the transition from into the afterlife is a process. Sins, okay, sins were weighed, quote, at the hall of truths. Waiting in line, as if it's a Super Bowl game. Waiting in line as if you go to a rock concert. The hall of truths, waiting in line as if you're going to get Chick-fil-A. Waiting in line for judgment from Osiris, the god of the afterlife. Ooh, Osiris, ooh. The god of the afterlife. Osiris. Scripture to say Osiris is the god of the afterlife is just something that somebody made as a record and people believe it. Right. Watch this. Osiris has 42 judges. Excuse me. Osiris and 42 judges. They judge. They judge the soul. The soul makes what's known as their negative confessions. This is a list of 42 sins one can commit against oneself, the gods or others. From there, the judges, the 42 judges, discuss, have a meaning, discuss the confession of that soul and present the heart to Osiris. It's weighed, the heart is weighed on a scale against a feather, a feather of truth. Okay, they get the heart, the physical heart, they put it on a scale next to a feather and see if it, whichever way it goes. Now let me ask you, is a feather lighter than the heart? How much does the heart weigh? I don't know, but I suspect it's heavier than a feather. It's weighed against the feather of truth. If the heart is lighter than the feather, the soul goes into the afterlife. Hip, hip, hooray. That's my words. If not, so if the heart is lighter than the feather, the soul goes into the afterlife. However, if the heart is heavier, then the soul goes to non-existence. No hell, no eternal substance, just non-existence. It kind of makes you wonder, so then what's the issue here? 
If there's non-existence, why not live like the devil yeah. and enjoy your eternal life? If there's non-existence in the end. Oh well, just thinking out loud. For those who pass through the weighing of their heart, they go to the Egyptian afterlife known as the field of reeds. R-E-E-D-S. The field of reeds. Can you imagine the field of reeds? Okay. You know, like what Moses put in the bulrush, you know, the field of reeds kind of thing. On the way to the field of reeds, they reach, quote, Lily Lake. Lily. Lily pad, lily flower, lily lake. Before they get to the field of reeds, they're going to go through lily lake. You have a ferryman that escorts your soul in this boat across the lake, lily lake, to the field of reeds. This is where the ancient Egyptians were believed to spend the rest of eternity. Now let me ask this question. All this, all this that they really believe, what basis did they have for that? The Bible is our basis. It's our record. We have what God said, his witness. I think I'd rather believe what the Bible says over what some document, some manuscript, some ancient, some whoever, witch doctor said about something over the centuries and commit my soul to have my heart cut on me and weighed by against a feather. Hope I get through the lily of the field or um, <laughs> lily pads and uh, lily leg to the field of reeds. Not making fun, but sort of I am. Because this points out how superstitious people can become and how superstitious cultures are if they'd only believe the witness of God. They would have assurance of eternal life now. In this life, before they have to go through some ferryman to somewhere else in some journey. And that's just one culture. There's plenty more. So there's no authority. There's no record. And what we do have is the word of God. John says, the father has testified of his son. Here's what it says. If you believe that, if you don't, you've made God a liar. Now, I didn't finish verse number 12 because verse number 12 within itself is going to be very important to to, to dissect too. Okay, so life is in his son. We'll talk about that next time and how critical that is. Life is in his son. Whew, I'm tired. I'm talking about those Egyptian stuff. <clears throat> oh. Okay, let's take a short break. We'll come back and pray at 10 30.